Hello and welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers, podcast number 63. A big welcome back to anyone who's returning and thanks for stopping in to anybody who's new this week. Well, this week's podcast is so much fun. I had the pleasure of talking to Richard Hill, who is a deadhead from way back from the UK, going back to 1988, and a musician and currently in the band the Grateful Dudes. And Richard and I met on Twitter via The Grateful Dudes. And I'm just so excited to have a deadhead from over the pond. I mean, you know, we're everywhere. And I've been fortunate enough to talk to some Canadians. And I got to chat with my friend Matt Day, the deadhead from Down Under. But Richard's the first European that I got a chance to hear his stories and share his stories with. So much fun. And the last song that we play is the Grateful Dude singing Feels Like a Stranger at the Brooklyn Bowl in London. So really excited to get a chance to hear their band, share their music. Just a lot of fun getting a chance to talk to each other and how just the experience of a dead show, whether you are 19 years old and you're seeing Dead and Company for the first time or you were in San Francisco in the late 60s and saw the Grateful Dead 300 times, or you're in Europe in 1990, it, it has that amazing cosmic energy that is just so relatable, I think, to all of us. I mean, my, my favorite description is the smell. I mean, what other band can you talk about that you think back to, you know, the experience and the, one of the first words that come to mind is the smell. I mean, it's just, it's so special and so incredible. Yeah, I just love the, the consistency of the magic, no matter who you are, where you are, what age you are, where you come from. So this was just such a pleasure. You know, the nature of Stranger Stopping Strangers is having conversations from people all over. You know, with that being said, the majority of the conversations are done over the phone. I really want to make sure that the sound quality is getting up to be as high as, you know, any level of podcasts that you may be tuning into. And so with this conversation all the way across the Atlantic in Europe, you know, I have to say it came out a little echoier, the conversation, than I was hoping. But I mean, I think the content more than makes up for it. Over time, I'm going to keep on working at it, working at different techniques and, and different ways to record conversations and, you know, getting this to sound like it is just serious studio quality is a huge priority for me over here so that everybody gets a top-notch listening experience and you know I think something that's really kind of pushed me into wanting to be at the top of my game was joining the Osiris podcast network Osiris is a network of podcasts that music and cultural podcasts that connect music fans you know like yourselves with conversation and commentary and then of course a lot of really killer music so if you're looking to hear more about family of podcasts you can find it in osirispod.com and that has a list of everybody who is part of this and you know the last thing i'm going to say in this super lengthy intro is that you know in joining forces with others you know, we're going to be you know working with businesses to you know be able to get some of their messages across and when the first opportunity came across, I was so excited and said I absolutely wanted to join 
on board because it was with cashortrade.org. Brando Rich, such a nice guy, uh, one of the brothers who founded cashortrade.org, was a guest on Stranger Shopping Strangers podcast in episode number 56. You know, anyone who's been tuning in has already gotten a chance to hear a little bit about him and about, you know, Cash or Trade, which, you know, is being called the Airbnb of tickets for real fans, you know, and it's helping people avoid scalping and purchase tickets for face value. And, you know, we're going to we're going to change this industry right now. If you go to Cash Trade Org slash Osiris, you can get 25 percent off uh, gold membership. And the gold membership comes with the options for, you know, different push and text notifications for a ticket when it's ready. And, you know, we all know when you're looking for a ticket, you know, you just want it to go as smooth as possible. I just recently used cashortrade.org when I was buying tickets to see Bob and Phil a couple weeks ago in Boston. And it was one of those real game day decision kind of deals. And... And I was so happy to be able to buy a face value ticket a couple days before the show. It was just really easy and really nice. So go check it out for anybody who is looking for some fair priced face value tickets or if you bought tickets and you can't go to the show and need to sell them. I mean, it's another great reason to check it out. Without further ado, everybody enjoy the Stranger Stopping Strangers conversation with Richard Hill the deadhead from the UK and thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you soon. Richard Hill, welcome to Stranger Stopping Strangers. Thank you very much. Hi there, Stacey. Hi. Oh my God, this is so exciting. You are my first European guest. This is so thrilling to me. Thank you. Yeah, you're very, very welcome. Not your first international, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, first European a good feeling for me as well. Bring it on. Well, I mean, you know, we're everywhere. We're everyone. And this is just so exciting to me because, you know, this podcast has just been conversations with people that all have connections with the band and you have a ton of connections. And I mean, what other world do we live in where, you know, we can connect across the globe from England to United States and be like family? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a lot easier nowadays when when I first got into the dead, you'd have to wait a month before you got any kind of response from anyone, you know, sending tapes off internationally and and waiting for the replies and getting the packet of tapes back. And but now we do it straight away. We can we can talk in real time. And it's it's fantastic. Six months ago. Neither of us knew the other existed, and now here we are. It is fucking awesome. I am so thrilled. We met on Twitter, a nice old-fashioned way of meeting. Yep. Yeah, and you have a band, and I've gotten a chance to listen to it. And again, we, we, we cheated and spoke a little bit last week, but I cannot wait for everyone to hear your stories and, and, and some of your music because, I mean, it, it was such a pleasure. It was so much fun. Yeah, it was it was great fun that, that little chat last week. It was just to test levels and, and say hello, but it felt like an old friend. You know, I've heard enough about you, and obviously you've checked us out, so uh, you knew a bit about us as well. Playing in the band, playing in a, a dead tribute is is the exciting thing, really. Over in Europe, when I started playing in in a band that was called the Cosmic Charlies, who are still going, who I'm no longer a member of, um, that was in the late eighties, about eighty seven. And since I got on the bus, I've been playing in Grateful Dead tributes alongside other bands ever since. So 30 years, 31 years this year. 
a long time playing this music. There's not the market in in England really that you get in in many American towns. It seems whenever I'm on on the internet, on Twitter, on Facebook, looking at uh, or on YouTube, even looking at covers bands and tribute bands in America, there seems to be one in every town and really well attended. But it's uh, slightly more of a struggle over here. Slightly less of an audience. There's enough to make it happen. But I would imagine that the people who who do come are just so happy to have found you and found each other. You know, it, it's it's probably farther and few between. But I would imagine the energy that's there with everybody, you know, getting to listen to you and, and be together must be phenomenal. It's 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 always great. There was a, a British produced uh, fanzine starting in the mid '80s called Spiral Light. And uh, some of our early gigs were that there was a party that Spiral Light would uh, would hold every year in the summer. And uh, we started, I think, 88 or 89 was our first first proper gig for them. And it was great. There were about 50, 60, 70 deadheads, all English, tie-dye, wearing freaks, just hanging out, having fun. Yeah, being able to meet people through the fanzine, all British, all into the dead, all with their own tape connections. And just just play the gigs for them was terrific. And then because we could do that, we found we could play in London as well, and uh, picked up gigs elsewhere. The connection. It's and, and as you meet more people, I mean, if I can backtrack a bit, you know, just meeting deadheads in England is, is was a struggle. You, you'd literally be the only deadhead in the town. And I grew up in London, and I lived in London for most of my life. And even then, I didn't know any other deadheads. I'd go, I'd go to the pub. I'd wear my latest tie dye and my, my latest T-shirt I had, and I think I met one <laughs> randomly in the whole of London. You know, so it was always very hard. But having the fanzine helped. The spiral lights, which I think have been digitised now and uh, and put on the dead archive or some somewhere, they've all been digitised, so we can read them now. But it was it was a real community because those 50 people, I probably still know most of them and still they still come to the gigs that we play and, and still play at the uh, the Grateful Dudes gigs, which is the present band I'm, I'm with doing this. So they've lasted all this time and they've grown with us and we've grown with them and it's their family now as well. You know, it's it's good. It's, it's a good, good feeling. Well, I think it really plays into the spirit of really the Grateful Dead and, you know, the community from where they began and growing up together and listeners, the crowd, the people who are there to hear and experience the music feeding the band and the band feeding the crowd. I mean, that's such a that's such an integral part of what makes this music special. And so for you to find the same thing on a smaller level in the UK, you know, because of the population, but you're you're really following in the footsteps of of what makes it special, which is the the connection. Absolutely, and and the audiences over here are just as enthusiastic as the, I'm sure the dead had in their early days, you know. And we've grown with them; they're still our friends. And what they say to us, I'm, I'm meeting a couple of deadheads in Leeds, my local city. This Friday, um, we, we're just going to hang out and have a chat and have a couple of drinks after work and see what the weekend's bringing. And you know, they're, they're still friends, they're still family, and they'll ask me what our set list is going to be like in the next gig, and I'm not going to tell them. I don't <laughs> even know myself yet. We're, we're playing in a few weeks in, in Yorkshire. We, we, we just get on like we're family. We, we're deadheads. We talk. 
Yeah, we're family. We can talk forever about music. I started talking somebody's ear off. Oh, I was at a work event last night and something about it came up and I started talking and then I have to stop myself when I'm talking to somebody who's not a deadhead because you start seeing the glazed look come into their eye, you know, and you realize that... (laughs) You know, yeah. I, I could talk a dog off a meat wagon when it comes to this topic. So, you know, we're we're so lucky. I, and then I kind of wrapped it up with, well, that's why I have a podcast. <laughs> so I have a chance to talk to all these people and get it out of my system. So not, exactly. you know, bore the fuck out of you over here. You know, he started off with a polite nodding. And then, you know, they have that scared look in their eyes. <laughs> like, it happens to me all the time. I mean, it's not just the dead I'm into. You know, I can talk about the Jerry Bands and Rat Dog as well. And- <laughs> that's like the meme it's not the just grateful dead it's the jerry garcia man too that's fucking awesome that's love yeah. it yeah no, I'm lovely. well so i want to start back in the beginning because again I, so clearly you and i could have like a three-hour conversation and uh, for essence of time because three-hour podcasts tend to not be downloaded as often as the ones that come in around an hour <laughs> i want to hear about how you became that deadhead in london like tell me a little bit about like the beginning and and your discovery of uh, of this uh, band beyond description. Yeah, it's a it's a slightly odd route because I, I didn't know anyone who was into into the dead at all. But one night in I guess it must have been 1987, I was watching some late night TV and the video for Touch of Grey came on. So I guess that makes me one of those touchhead guys. And I saw the video and I just loved the music on it. I've I've been a musician for longer than I've been a deadhead. And the music just grabbed me the, the sounds. It was, it was a bit country, a bit rock and roll. It was a bit, and it was it was a funny video as well. It caught my attention. So the, literally the following day, I went out and bought the album uh, that it was on. So uh, In the Dark was my first uh, exposure to them, really. And it was a great album to be my first as well. It's, it's the closest to how they sound. But then I was still stuck with not knowing what the other good albums to buy were, you know, you pick up the album cover in, in the record shop, you wouldn't know what it was. You, I had no one to guide me. But a few months after I got in uh, in the duck, I was in my local uh, rehearsal studios. I knew the owner quite well, so I used to hang around there. And I saw an advert on the wall, a bass player needed for a band that played everything from the Beatles to the Grateful Dead. And I thought... I'm seriously into the Beatles. I'm English. You kind of have to be. And I know who the Grateful Dead are now. So I phoned up and I joined the band. Quickly found out they played everything from the Grateful Dead to the Beatles that the Grateful Dead covered. So uh, that was my first introduction. The drummer in the band, Bob, still my best friend, still, still my drummer. He gave me my first tape. I just thought that was magical. He had this tape that had been recorded yeah. by an audience member and it was totally new scene to me uh, the idea of tape trading now, i can still remember that first tape which was uh, june the 12th 76 probably not the classic show to have as your first tape but it was my first tape so that show means a lot to me and i just went from there and i just devoured as much as i could i was into jazz anyway and so so i knew about the improvisational aspect 76 is a good year because they'd obviously rehearsed before the, the start of the year and they were they were a tight band but they had that improvisation and some of the playing on there just blew my mind and how they could be so intricate and it's a very cerebral sort of 
angle that I came at them as well. Just the technical ability of them to do what they did. Yeah, that's what got me started uh, just over 30 years ago. Found myself now, I'm still doing it. The bands I used to listen to, I don't listen to so much. <laughs> um, you know, Queen was my big band at the time, but The Grateful Dead just turned that light on in me, and they've been with me ever since. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I love the chance to hear the story so vast and from age and experience and, and geography and how you, you hear it and it just it just sings to you and and, and you're hooked. And there, there's a lot of music, you know, I know I can listen to over and over and over, but not quite with that, that same passion that I can with listening to the Grateful Dead or, you know, any dead music over and over and over. And it's, I mean, I have this, I had this conversation this morning with my husband. I probably have this conversation with him at least once a week because you know, it's like, he loves music. He just doesn't understand how I feel that way. And I think sometimes people don't have to understand, you know, not everyone has to understand everything about everyone, but I love that we can come together and I can hear your story and it be, you know, in London in the eighties and then talk to, you know, a 22 year old and have them have a similar story and then talk yeah. to somebody that was in San Francisco in 1967 and have them have a similar story. And it's like, we are, from all over, but but it all kind of springs from that same, wow, you know, this just speaks to my heart. This sings to me. Yeah. And it's uh, um it's amazing. There, there, there's something very special about the dead with it they tell the stories in their songs and so you get drawn into that story and then you tell that story to someone else. And from even our early gigs, you know, I'd, I'd suddenly walk into room there were thirty people, forty people there who knew all about the dead and and had seen them in previous tours, 81, 74, 72. And you think, such a long time between shows in Europe. You know, uh, yeah, 72, 74, 81, then nothing till 1990. But these guys were in it, and they'd stayed on, on the bus. You know, they, they'd stuck with it for many years. And they all told me how they got into the dead as well. And I'm sure you'll... You'll make touch with a few of them, at least, uh, over the next months and years that you continue with this podcast. And they've got their own stories to tell. But, yeah, I, I just consumed everything. And it was so special. And it was obviously something special in the community. And, yeah, I was welcomed like a, like a brother straight away. And, uh, yeah, we just we, we, we just took off chugging away at our own, you know, little gigs when we could get them. Yeah. Very cool. Well, let's go back. Let's go bring back to the tape because, you know, this podcast, so much of it is about the conversations in the community. And, and, you know, I like to think that that is, you know, that's really what I really love is meeting and talking to people. But at the end of the day, it's the music that binds us together. So you've selected a few songs and we are going to go back to that tape. Of course, it's been digitized. Cleaned up. <laughs> yeah, of course, we're not going to roll the tape, but I am going to do the digitized version of that. And and you selected the Lazy Lightning Supplication. Yeah, this is, it's, it's one of those pieces, very complex. It's in a weird time signature. It's in seven, seven time if, you, if you're counting music. And the complexity is what immediately drew me in, and they're all right on it. They're all right on the beat, and then there's the jam in the middle to, to supplication, and they all know what's happening, and there's, the communication is on stage there for everyone to hear. It's a great thing to get started with. 
Well, let's roll it. Let's throw it back. We're throwing it back to June in 1976. And then we'll come back and I want to hear a bit more about your journey. And I want to hear about, I want to hear about some of the shows in Europe. So, uh, so let's, uh, <laughs> let's go listen to that and then we'll hop back across the pond. Yeah.
listening to Lazy Lightning and Supplication from the first tape that found its way into your hands and into your heart. And I want to hear a bit about the shows in Europe because, I mean, I for one am pining, praying, dying to go see some Dead and Company in Europe. And you were fortunate enough to get to see the Grateful Dead in Europe. So if your next couple song picks are from from those shows. And I want you to tell everyone about them because, I mean, it's just so magical to me. Yeah, um, I was really lucky. I got into the Dead just a couple of years before they came over. My situation at the time, I could only make the, the Wembley shows, the last three shows of the tour. But they changed my life as much as anything. And uh, become a deadhead back two, two, maybe three years previously. And I'd started getting tapes and I knew the scene. I was working in the record shop at the time and we had a ticket booth in the corner. And the guy who ran the ticket booth came over to me and he said, uh, you're into the Grateful Dead, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, I've got some confirmed tickets for you. Do you want some? And amazingly, they'd announced the first two shows. And he got me the first two shows tickets right at the front, about about the tenth row or something. One night I was on Jerry's side, one night I was on Phil's side. A few weeks later, he said, oh, they're playing a third show. Do you want another good seat? And he got me like the eighth row for the last night back on Jerry's side. So that was that was super exciting. I had the connections there. And so, yeah, they, they came over. Everything was really exciting. The sad thing was that when the shows were announced, we, we still had Brent at the end of summer tour. Back then, of, of course, we didn't have the internet. We just had the telephone line that some of my friends, some of my deadhead friends had access to. So we found out, oh, yeah, they're still coming over. This is great. This is all happening. This is, this is all systems go. And so they came over, obviously, with, with, with Vince and, uh, and, and Bruce as well, some classic shows from Bruce. Looking back at the time... I thought it was a bit too much that there was too much going on at the shows when I finally got there. But listening to the tapes now, he Bruce added so much to the sounds. Vince was just getting settled. But yeah, so basically cut to the chase. I, I got to the show. I, I left. Uh, I, I booked three days of holiday for the three shows, the 30th, 31st of October. So Halloween in London for, for the Werewolves Encore. If you very fun time that the encore for, for Wells in London in London on Halloween with the record. It just doesn't get any better. No, no. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like salivating thinking about it. I mean that's uh that's like that's all time all time, you know, like when it just all comes together. That's amazing. Everything. Yeah, and yeah, so I booked three days of holiday. I was hanging out in central London. Met a few dead heads, a few tour heads who were over, made the way over to the show, hanging out and and there was just a really cool vibe. Now, I, I, must, I must have seen 50, 60, 70 shows at Wembley Arena. It was practically my, my go-to venue. There was there in the Hammersmith Odeon, which is, is where I always went to see shows. But there was a different vibe, even, even getting off the train and walking down the hill to the venue. And there was just, just that vibe. There was the smell of a Grateful Dead show in the air, you know, the one. And yeah. <laughs> I've drilled it down to like weed, sweat, and patchouli, right? I mean, if you had yeah. to like pick out like three integral ingredients that like all go to that, that smell. I, I just love that you mentioned the smell because it's such an intense sensory that 
I again, I can't think of any other music where people can all be like, yeah, the smell, right? <laughs> yeah, and usually if you if you put sweat into the mix, you think that's going to be nasty, but it, no, it's it's the smell of I've arrived. I'm here. I'm part of this scene. This is this is great. This is where I need to be. And that smell helps, and all the colours. Everybody had the tie dyes on, and uh, the guys wearing their patched up jeans. And it was it was the full on dead experience, just walking through London, and, and on the tubes in, in, in town. And it was it was it was just so yeah. Yeah, that's 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 all you can say. It was just yeah. So I have a friend Nathan. I'm gonna give a shout out to my buddy Nathan and his his podcast. He was uh, back in the fall, and his tagline at the end for it all was is "fuck yeah." yeah. Now, this is a fuck <laughs> yeah moment. So what's up, Nathan? Fuck yeah, London. Beat that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if I remember right, the weather wasn't great, but you know the sky was yellow, the sun was blue. It was it was just perfect. You know there were grey clouds everywhere, but it didn't matter. I was home. I yeah, got in the venue. There were people playing tapes outside, people playing tapes inside, and that never happens at any other show in the in, in the country in in the whole of Europe. I think you know playing the tapes of the shows that had been played the weekend before or in Germany the week before. And it was it, it was totally mind-blowing that people could do that. And inside the hall, when you first go in, you're in, you're in the foyer, and, yeah, they're listening to the tapes. They're dancing. They're, they're up for it. They're ready. And, you know, so was I. So made my way in, and uh, it was just fantastic. Balloons flying everywhere. I remember that. Yeah, I was so lucky to be... Uh, a deadhead of two years in 1990 in Europe. It was such a, yeah. If I close my eyes, I can get right back there. And and looking up and seeing seeing everything on stage, just like I'd seen in the videos that I'd I'd watched. You know, we every now and then we get a video of the shows, Shoreline shows and Summer Solstice the year before. That was a great video that we had. And there it was in front of me. And it's fantastic. The lights went down and they walked out and tuned up and it was yeah it was i was totally home then and that's what i I knew that's what i wanted to do just i I didn't want to do it in my own bands anymore i wanted to do it playing the grateful dead's music and they just started just open the show very quietly very they were a lot quieter than i thought they'd be you know they had this reputation of being the loudest band back in the 70s but the sound quality nobody ever sounded that good at wembley there's a there's a big echo there, but you didn't notice the quadraphonic sound was really working perfectly, and I know the work they put into making it sound good. And they they walked out and and the openers, Jack Straw Bertha, a classic combo from many a tape and many a show, and it was it was great. There I was, boom, Jack Straw opener. Wow. Well, I mean, my heart is smiling right now. I feel like I'm standing right there with you, listening to it. Yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I want to go back sure. there. Let's do yeah. it. Let's let's uh, let's go back. So we're gonna go for everyone who just wants to be in London in Wembley in 1990, listening to this Jack Straw. Let's go back and enjoy.
from Jack Straw from the first song of the first night of the first show in uh, in London in 1990. And uh, yeah, I mean, the circus is in town. I mean, there's just, uh, I mean, just hearing your description is what it reminds me of, I would imagine, you know, when the, when the circus would roll into town and the tent would go up and um, I mean, it's just so thrilling. Yeah, I, I guess it's something in America. You, in that time period, you'd, you'd feel twice a year the dead were coming round and it was spring tour and they were playing Nassau or, or Boston or New York for spring tour. And the, yeah, the excitement building up to it. And then suddenly it's there and everyone's everyone's waving their freak flags and the, the tie-dyes, the colours. Yeah, to experience that and be so lucky. It was the last time they came over here as well in my hometown. Yeah, you can't beat it. So how many years in between was it from the last tour to, to this tour? That was nine years. They, they came over and played in 81 in London uh, at, the, at the Rainbow Theatre. Some great shows. There's a, there's a great video of that. Obviously, being in Europe and away from away from the live experience, we, we devoured the tapes. We, we, we got videos whenever we could. So there's a great video from the, the Rock Palast show in Germany with the jugglers and, uh, and Pete Townsend joins them. From the wow. They toured in, in Europe in 81 and then nothing until 1990. So a great big gap. If I got into the dead in 82, I'm, I don't know if <laughs> it, it, it would have been definitely worth the wait, but uh, it would have been a long wait for me. So I was so lucky to be a, a fresh head, as it were. So. Well, so I'm curious, why do you think it was nine years? I really don't know. Obviously, obviously, Jerry started having his, his problems straight after the 81 tours. You know, 82, 83, you can hear him starting to decline. And then he he had his, his serious illness, 86, and got back on the road in time for 87. So they were dealing with a lot of stuff. You know, they were growing as a band. I guess it, it just wasn't so important for them yeah. to, to come over. They needed to be home, and, and Jerry probably need, wanted to be home rather than lugging everything over. It's a very expensive business, dragging that sort of show across the Atlantic as well. Lots of things just, just were happening. Yeah, the previous time to that was 74, so you've, you've got you know six years there before they came over. They did come over twice in 81, though, so that was fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm super interested in it. And I have to say, like in watching the movie The Long Strange Trip, which was phenomenal. I, mm. I I mean, I really think one of my favorite parts, I mean, it's hard to quantify a favorite of anything, of that something that you really enjoyed and loved, but I think one of my favorite parts was that amazing footage from Europe 72 and the and the dosing of the film crew, right? Yeah, <laughs> and it's all on cine camera. Yeah. I mean, craziness, you know? And I mean, the, the footage of them in the airport and, and what they, and just being there and, and thinking about... You know, being able to, to witness that now, I mean, that, that really was probably one of my very favorite parts of the movie was just, you know, taking the show over to Europe and, and they were just such pranksters. Being so much fun. Young guys having fun on the road and knowing what BBC cameramen are like, very, very straight, serious people to be to be dosed like that. And one of the descriptions was one of the cameramen just pointed his, his camera at the sky and just took clouds when he was supposed to be following the bands about. Yeah, uh, 
great fun for them. It was brilliant. I mean, just the prankster, the, the aspect of that. I think my two favorite prankster moments was the Europe and and the Playboy Mansion. I mean, that was like kind of insane too when they dosed oh, the yeah. Playboy Mansion. <laughs> I don't yeah. know which one I liked better, but so fun. Never trust a prankster. <laughs> Never trust a prankster. No, that whole that whole was that whole movie was so special to get to 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 get you know back in there and get to see so many things that you know that we didn't get to experience, whether it was geography or age or just everything, you know, it was such a small core group of people that were really part of all of that. And so to get a chance to to join the ride after the fact is, um, I'm really grateful. It was really fun. Yeah, and there's such new footage in that show as well, in, in the movie. Uh, suddenly there it is, and it's, and it's, it's great, yeah. You know, I have to say, I, I not to, and then I want to hear more about the other show and play some more music. But I mean, it is such a community, and so I, when I was down in Mexico, I met some really amazing people, and and still in touch with with several of them, like regularly. I have to say, my girlfriend Elise, I woke up this morning to a text that says, Miss Eustace watched The Long Strange Trip and was talking about brotherhood and sisterhood and, you know, thought of you. I mean, right? I mean, how special it is it, you know, that you and I could be like, oh my God, we saw this movie and 3,000 miles away and to wake up from a message with somebody who was like, yeah, in, in the same cosmic space, you know? I mean, everyone who watched the movie with me, I practically had to like bind them down to the couch, right? You know? <laughs> they were polite. <laughs> No, I mean, they were, they were cool. Like whoever came to watch, you know, they were, they were cool. Actually, my friend Laura came to watch a second time with me, like one section of it or whatever. Uh, so shout out to Elise girl in this movie. I just had to think about it being, we started talking about the movie because, you know, nothing makes me happier than waking up and being like, you got the sister out there, you know, that you just met. And yet it's, it's a true love, you know, you've known, you've known them all your life. And yeah. The great thing about that, that film is it's cut up into nice little chunks so nobody gets too bored if they're not totally with you as well. So there's always something else coming up. There's a there's a break in the adverts or something coming up. So, yeah. I, I could watch it over and over and over. I will watch it over and over and over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's take us back to the show. So you're the first song, and we, just, we talked about the show you know, leading up to it and played Jack Straw. And the next song that we're going to play is from The Last Night. So tell me a little bit about this song pick. Yeah, so, well, we've got the got the first show uh, that I, I saw and then the last show that I saw. And, you know, I never quite made it over to, to America for a tour. Some good friends of mine did go over in, in, in the early 90s, 92, 93, 94, came back with their stories. And I always said, yeah, next year I'll make it, next year I'll make it. And I had really good firm plans to come over in 96. Obviously, that didn't happen. So my last show was two days after my first show. 30th of October was the first. Last show was the, the first November. And it was it was a dark star show. You know, what, what can I say? It was uh, the playing in the band, the dark star, just amazing, fantastic set list for that last night. One of the highlights for me, though, um, I just realised they're all Bobby songs I've chosen, aren't they? That's cool. They are, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Bobby Boy, obviously. But yeah, so one of my favourite songs goes back to that, that first tape of mine, the 76, when they were just working out what they could do with Cassidy. The jam was completely different in Cassidy. The, the way the song moved, they, they'd added the harmonies to it. 
Um, you know, they'd lost the Donna vocal, which which was fantastic in '76, all the way through. If, if, if there's anybody who holds a different opinion to me, uh, just listen to some '76 Donna. She's fantastic that whole year. Um, but then the, the, the Cassidy, that was something that struck just just struck me because I was really close to the, the stage and you could, I could see the interplay. They're all watching out for the cues, and this is the first time I probably realised that Bobby's directing the cues. He's he's got his little skips. He's got his sort of waving of his hands. He's looking at everybody, and he controlled this song. And it's a really good version of the song as well. It's come to mean so much to me since as well. When my father died, I was on my way to a rehearsal with the Grateful Dudes, the the, the tribute act I'm in. And the first tune we played, I, I told the rest of the band what had happened. And uh, the first tune we played was Cassidy. So it's grown in meaning to me ever since. It's still one of my favorite versions because I was there. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. Yeah, I just got the goosebumps when you mentioned about your father. And and yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting. You know, we had talked earlier about uh, not on this recorded podcast, but about songs and music and having them change meaning. And, you know, obviously, Cassidy, there's, you know, there's stories behind all of the songs and all of the music and, you know, how it was written for Cassidy Law. And it was also mm-hmm. written for Neil Cassidy oh. and, you know, so many different things that were there in the song. And, um, and with the recent passing of John Barlow, I mean, that was his song. I mean, that was his oh, transcendent. Yeah. That was the masterpiece, I feel. I mean, I feel like there's so many good songs. But I, when I saw it over the summer, I was I was fortunate to be back at home in Shoreline and fortunate enough to meet John. Well, Gerilyn, who is a, a friend of mine, who I just love, 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 Gerilyn Brandelice, she was a caretaker for him, you know, and was very close yeah. with him and, you know, like a, like a brother. And her and I are friends and we met at the show, you know, during set break. And I met him walking with her and they stopped, did a little stop and chat about everything that was, you know, happening in the moment. And, and it was really lovely. And they played Cassidy in the beginning of the second set of that show. Mm. And I was just, you know, at that moment, you know, walking out and I saw John, he was in a, he was in a wheelchair and they had this little area where they kind of wheeled put the wheelchair in and then they elevated it so that you could see above for that section Mm -hmm. and when I was kind of walking back out I I looked over and I did like a little a little bow you know and said Cassidy and it was just like that that you know nothing I mean no no story it's just that moment it's all moments every moment a dead show is a moment of itself but it leads to everything else as well it does. And that song just, I mean, it's always been special, but it, it, it just became exponentially more special. And, um, and yeah, and the moments are fleeting because that was the moment. And, and now John's somewhere else. And, and, you know, his, let the words be yours. I'm done with done mine. With mine. Yeah. yeah. So beautiful. Well, let's play it. Let's go back. Let's play it. And then I want to hear a little bit more about what is going on um, today uh, going on in the uh, okay. London music scene. So let's throw it back to Cassidy in Wembley in London. And this is on, no- on November 1st, 1990. Slip up to the street. I can tell by the marking that you were in his dream. 
Well, coming back from November 1st, 1990 with Cassidy, yeah, we started off the conversation. We're going to kind of go like a flashback, flash forward on on our conversation because I want to hear a little bit about your band. And um, I mean, that's really what led us to meet was, uh, again, through Twitter and through the Grateful Dudes. But Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about the guys that you play with and the gigs that you play and and, and about one special gig that you play that we're going to play some music from. Yeah, well, the Grateful Dudes, uh, we started a few years ago. We, we actually didn't have the intention of being an out-and-out dead tribute. Keyboard player Bill has been playing in France with, with a band called Dead Cass, who, who played Grateful Dead in this band. Uh, I started it with me, him, and my drummer, who I mentioned earlier, who gave me my first tape. He's still my best friend, my best drummer. He's my buddy. We started the band just to play some fun songs, not just Grateful Dead. So the name of the band actually came from, we were playing a lot of Steely Dan songs as well as Grateful Dead songs. So there's a Steely Dan song, Any any Dude Could Tell You. So we just yeah. called ourselves the Grateful Dudes because we were playing the Grateful Dead and, and Any Kind of Dude Could Tell You. So uh, that's how the band name got got stuck with us. Two other guys in the band, I played with with the Cosmic Charlies back in the 90s, in the, in the early and mid-90s, which was the first Dead cover band I was in. Fantastic guitarist who really studies Jerry. Uh, his name's Andy, and uh, another drummer called Greg, who j- just fantastic, just covers everything Mickey ever does. We're, we're lucky, we've got two different kinds of drummers. Like we've got the Bill, the solidity of Bill playing and staying to beat, and the madness of Mickey going everywhere. So we've got that. Uh, we've got a recent bassist has, has jumped on board as well, who's really into the Grateful Dead and been a long time deadhead. And so we've just started concentrating on on getting the dead show great. The special show you're talking about, I think it was our second or third show really as a band together. And we've all been playing, as I say, for 20, 30 years, Grateful Dead tunes. And we got very lucky enough to be invited to play at the Brooklyn Bowl in London, which is owned by Pete Shapiro and, and it's the full exactly the experience you get in the, in, in the New York Brooklyn Bowl and uh, is there one in Vegas as well and it's, it's just like that so we got invited to play a, a party for, for Jerry's birthday I think it was actually August the 6th uh, one of the days between obviously and um, yeah so we, we played this fantastic stage with, with a couple of hundred English and a few American deadheads in the audience who happened to be in London that week um, we, we played the fantastic stage with all the lights and we were very lucky to come out with a great sounding recording, um, which is available. You can, you can download it from free from us. Uh, we'll, we'll sort out some links for you on, on, on the web or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to put the link up on the, uh, I'll put the link great. up on the website. Yeah. And, and let me just say, well, if you were listening to this podcast, I've come to realize statistically that the majority of these podcasts are downloaded from podcast platforms, which is great. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's where you find your podcasts, but for anybody who's listening and they do want to get the links and read a little bit more, the podcast and all of the little blog and the information are on the website, which is strangerstoppingstrangers.com to get the link and a little bit more information. You know, you pick this up and you're on the road and you want to circle back to it. 
StrangerStoppingStrangers.com. It'll all be always and forever. Anyone who's listening, just go on, click, click the link to us. Everything's for free, obviously. We can't really charge. If you want to help us, keep on going. You know, a couple of bucks. But uh, we've got a Bandcamp site, which I'll let you know about. So, but we got away with this fantastic sounding, great quality tape. And we opened with, I presume what you're about to hear feels like a stranger. The whole show is just magical from the first moment. The, the audience was with us. They were up and dancing in front of us. There was a taper section there. It was it was big time for us. And it really, because it was such a high exposure gig, we, we really made a lot of even newer friends than we had before. With the advertising from Pete Shapiro's backing, basically, for the Brooklyn Bowl, the bands and the event were plastered all over London. And uh, yet again more deadheads that we never knew existed just sort of jumped out of the woodwork and, and introduced themselves. So we've made lots of great friends up and down the country now who, who travelled from Scotland to London, from, from Cornwall, came up from the south, you know, from everywhere they turned up. Fantastic show. And, yeah, you're going to hear something that, that we did, did at that. Let's go back. I listened to it, and, and it was we were hard pressed to pick which song because I mean they're they're all really good. Choices. Um, so many choices, but yeah, we're gonna roll into "Feels Like a Stranger" and this is a really big treat. So everybody enjoy, and then Richard and I are gonna come back and uh, and do a little little sign off and goodbye.
Well, we are back from listening to Feels Like a Stranger. I am I am just so thrilled to get a chance to meet you and talk to you, and I am dying to get to London. And if I don't get there for specific live music, hopefully I will get to hear some amazing live music when I'm over there because regardless of who goes there, I'm going there at some point. And if it coincides with Dead & Co, yeah, it would be great to meet you at one of their shows. It really will. In the, keep your fingers crossed for the fall. <laughs> Absolutely. And if it doesn't, I'm still going to make it over because London is on a short bucket list of, of life places. I mean, it's. I think about the United States. I mean, I feel like I've hit every every city that I want to hit and so not the same for Europe. And within Europe, within Europe, Amsterdam and London are absolutely one and one A, like right there. But for all of those who live overseas, tell me, so where can they go? I'll put the website up, but where's, um, when's the next gig? Well, the, the very next gig is, is in just a few weeks, April the 1st, which is Easter Sunday this year. We're playing in a, in a town in Yorkshire, beautiful town in Yorkshire, at one of the best small venues in the country, in, in a town called Hebden Bridge, at the Hebden Bridge Trades Club. And it's, it's going to be a special show. We're playing two long sets. We're, we're hitting the stage at eight. We're coming off the stage at 12. We've got some special tunes we've been rehearsing lately. And it's going to be a fun party. Tickets are selling fast, but um, there's always room for one more. You know, uh, if anyone's listening to this and wants to come see us, get in touch and uh, we'll, we'll squeeze you in somehow. Sounds good. Well, I wish I was going to be there in a couple of weeks, but that, that's more than unlikely, but absolutely, you know, something to count on in, in the future. And I mean, gosh, we barely scratched the surface. I mean, you had, I mean, you have stories from when Phil came over and I mean, we, we, we could do like another three hours easily. Yeah. Phil's family bands, when Mill Saunders was open in the 90s, we, yeah, give me a call in, we'll be in contact before, but give me a call in a year or something, I'll have some more. <laughs> some more stories for you absolutely and and honestly for anyone who wants to hear any stories again the link will be there but grateful dudes on twitter i mean that's how we met follow you and and see what's up because that's a good that's a good way just to get the uh the real time if people do facebook it's the same thing at facebook grateful dudes at facebook grateful dudes at twitter it's all one word find us say hello shake our hands and uh we'll, we'll carry on the conversation with you Right on. Well, thank you so much. Yash, it's probably getting close to your bedtime over there. It's so getting a bit I, late. <laughs> it's getting a bit late. Yes, a few hours in between us. Well, thank you so much, Richard, and, uh, and, and until next time. Thank you very much. You're very, very welcome, and thanks. It's been a blast. Okay, bye. Bye. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.